You're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Welcome back to the Full Circle Music Show, where we interview the best and the brightest in the music biz. I'm Chris Murphy, alongside, as always, our co-host and fearless leader, Seth Mosley of Full Circle Music. Today we've got another great interview and we can't wait to get to it. I want to do a quick introduction. He is a legend in the music business. Vice President of A&R at Centricity Music, John Mays has been in the game for more than 30 years and he doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. We had such a wonderful chat with him. He's uh, just such a good guy to hang out with and can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, John Mays on the Full Circle Music Show. Hey podcast listeners, something's coming February 1st, 2016. Have you ever thought about a career in songwriting or music production? We have created a couple courses with you guys in mind. We've been getting a lot of feedback on people wanting to know more of how to become a songwriter, how to become a professional music producer or engineer. These courses were designed to answer some of those questions. Go to fullcirclemusic.org slash podcast and sign up there for more information. Got John Mays here today Mm -hmm. in the house. Thank you for uh, donating uh, an hour of your time to come over and be with us today. Oh, an hour? Well, uh, you said 10. Hour or four, yeah, yeah. Okay. 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... We'll we'll uh we'll, we'll we'll talk to your lawyer about that. So. <laughs> Jason Turner would be a good guy. I don't know if he's your guy, yeah. but yeah, thanks so much for being here, John. For those of you guys who don't know out there, why don't you just share a little bit of your career highlights? Maybe uh, I don't know. Is that is that oh weird? Gosh, uh, <laughs> tell you some of my story. If somebody was to like ask, okay, like what are the things that you've been super most proud of in your career? Like cover some of those things. Oh, my friendships, the friendships that I've got uh, going back, you yeah. know, 40 years, uh, deep, meaningful relationships that this, uh, working in this industry and community have afforded me to have, you know, one of the benefits, I'll be, I'll turn 60 this year. Wow. And one of the benefits of aging is, is the gift of seeing what's most important. You begin to get to see some of that, you know, and, and see some of your unnecessary striving and as i look back at the people i've gotten to work with the the people are way more valuable to me now than yeah. the work itself beyond that i would probably say uh, our, our mission at centricity is enabling our artists to create life-changing experiences for the world so to kind of keep that in front of our team I've just for years I've always tried to collect emails or voicemails or anything that comes in and there's a lot you know that uh you read to people and you take some here's a guy writing from prison you know who heard a song on the radio and it completely changed his view of his perspective his life mm. and that is fruit that's coming from the work that you've done and i don't know that there's anything to be more proud of Mm. that you got to be a part of something like that you know i know that's not what you're asking i'm not trying to avoid avoid it but uh uh, (laughs) that's a a great answer i've gotten to do so many 
work with so many people and so many different things, I can't think of one thing that I yeah. could talk about the things that have sold the most, but I don't know that those would be the things I'm the most proud of. Wow. Well, yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. you say that uh, you're turning 60 this year. Yeah. Um, and you've been in the business for 40 years. You don't look a year over 70. Oh, Seth, you are such an encourager. How dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, Actually, well, no, I, w- I would have not guessed 60. <laughs> <laughs> well, my fr- I took my first A&R job at, uh, I was 31. Okay. So however many years that is. 29. And was that wow. here in Nashville? Mm-hmm. At okay. Word Records, yeah. So what, have you always been from Nashville or what brought no, you here? I grew up in West Texas in a tiny Pentecostal church where, and tiny, like 60 people. Wow. And I was the music guy and could play enough instruments that I moved around and uh, grew up playing music. And they were so gracious to affirm my sucky music making, you know, <laughs> at, at, in that day. John is a phenomenal bass player, for those of you guys who don't know. He's being very humble. Wow, I don't know. if I can't tell. Is that legit or not? <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. The sarcasm it's, is... It's not seeking. No sarcasm. Uh, there was a music camp that happened every year in Waxahachie, Texas, at Southwestern Assembly of God College, and my folks sent me to that when I was a sophomore in high school. And I met some guys like me that... They were in high school, but would just rather play music than eat, which mm. turned out to be prophetic, you know. <laughs> yeah, starving <laughs> artist. But at, but at that little camp, we said, uh, hey, we're, when we get out of high school, let's start a band. So we did. I, when I graduated, I moved to Nacogdoches, Texas, which was across the state, and we started a band, and it was gross. It was really <laughs> uh, difficult, but I'm also grateful for it. It was about three years of seriously paying dues and literally going without food and I, I wouldn't trade anything for it now but I wouldn't want to do it again you know? all for the love of the art right but they opened for uh, a southern gospel group that was out of Nashville called the Spear Family and the Spears were looking for a bass player and asked me to audition and also they had a really hot girl singing lead <laughs> always helps yeah, yeah. so you know it was I, it had been about three years my dad worked in the oil field and didn't want me to work in the oil field but it always said i can get you a job you know in the oil field if you need to work so i thought i'll go to nashville i'll do that audition and that what a neat way to close this chapter i can say i had a professional audition in nashville and and i got the job wow and I married the girl. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's not a bad deal. Yeah. So that was in 77 that I moved here. Okay. But for what it's worth, I'll always be a Texan, and everybody that knows me knows that. <laughs> so I gigged around, played in different bands, and then had about a five-year career as a studio player, just doing sessions, and that got me into some production and songwriting. And those things combined, I think, led to a guy named Neil Joseph, who I'd done some work with, just session work with. He was producing at the time and said at breakfast one day, I need to hire an A&R guy, and I think you might be good at it. And Neil still does that kind of thing to this day. He's not in the music business, but he's just, he looks inside of people and sees something that they don't see. And I always want to give him credit for that but wow i started in uh, 87 at word and was there for eight years went to sparrow i was there three years benson for two years and then that was 01 and 02 sort of started the process leading to uh, the formation of centricity which took three or four years before it actually got official gosh yeah well what a ride 
Then back in 1864. <laughs> <laughs> so did you immediately hang up the base, or did were you yes, moonlighting? Yes, it was one of the worst parts of that first year, which I, I made a little bit less than I had made the year before just playing, and I was a fish out of water. I'd never had what is called a real job, you know, with a desk and an office and politics and culture and all those things we're not used to when we're musicians. And I also inherited about 20 artists that I wouldn't have necessarily signed and didn't know a lot of them. They didn't know me. Here's this kid coming in to start doing their A&R work. And all that was very uncomfortable and took me about a year to kind of adjust to. I questioned a few times whether Neil was right on that, but he kept encouraging me. And after a year or so, I signed something of my own and started to get in my own groove. And every A&R hat person has their own groove, their own way that they do it. Sure. You know? What was the first thing that you signed? Cindy Morgan. Wow. Who's still around today, one of my best friends in the world. I love her so much. That's not a bad first, <laughs> first Not at signing. all. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't what she does today, but it was, uh, it was still, she was obviously super gifted. That's amazing. And then you went on to... I mean, some of the other names, Point of Grace was was, yeah. was a, a big one in, in your yeah. career. Yeah, while I was at Word. And they're still around doing it today. Y- yeah, in a different kind of form, they're still around. So you're good at finding artists that have long careers. Oh, gosh, Seth, I could name you plenty I've signed that had really short careers. <laughs> but uh, I, I've been fortunate to sign some that did, yeah, hang around yeah. for a while. I've got a demo tape I'll hand you when you leave here. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be unusual. <laughs> no, with that, uh, with the transition in the career, again, mm-hmm. it seemed like you had a lot of momentum going with it mm-hmm. as a player, studio musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you sat down and heard about the A&R position, what was it in your head that thought, you know, maybe this is this is what I should do instead of continuing yeah. to pursue the the artist life. Yeah, great great question. Some of it was what was going on spiritually in me at the time. I, I think God working on my heart, and that was a real season as I look back on it of pruning, trying to cut out some stuff in me that didn't need to be there, and that you're always kind of running away from. You know, getting serious about. We just had our first child. Mm. She was born that same year. And so you're, I was 30-whatever, and, and you're thinking, will I be playing bass when I'm 40, sure. you know? Who wants a 40-year-old bass player? <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be Lee Sklar. Those were some of the things combining in different parts of my life and Neil's belief, you know, that uh, I had whatever skill set it might take to do this. And honestly, it was a year or so before I could look over my shoulder and think, yeah, I, I did have that. It was kind of laying fallow back there, but... I'm glad I took the leap and and engaged some of those things because maybe I can bring something to this that helps the world somehow. You know, I think there's a lot of wisdom there because I know that oftentimes oh, there's a lot of trust. <laughs> so much wisdom. <laughs> well, looking at it from the perspective of you're not going to wake up the next morning and mm. go, "This was the right decision." Mm. That it was a you, you're saying it was a, a year or more of a yeah. process of going wrestling and sure. thinking, is this the right thing? Did, Did I, I make the right the... thing? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And if you decide to make a career shift or you decide to pursue your dream full bore, whatever that may be, <laughs> you may not wake up tomorrow with that, yeah. that great feeling of I, I'm doing the right thing. And I know this is oh, it. Yeah. It may take a bit. Yeah. I can't even say it was a dream. You know, it just kind of came to me. Like I've heard this in some of y'all's podcasts and I think you'll hear it more just 
so many people in the industry, the thing they do, or maybe even the thing they're really good at, it came to them. They didn't go searching for it. You know? Sure. Mm-hmm. I spent so many years and hours trying to be an adequate bass player. And a foundation of making music was great for A&R, but it wasn't necessary, you know, and there are a lot of good A&R people who can't play a thing and never written a song. So you can feel like, is all that wasted time? Mm. You know, and you just got to get down the road a little bit to see in hindsight how God, no, God was working all this and he put this brick here in the path and, oh, that's what that purpose was. And you get a greater perspective through time than you do when you make the leap. Sure. That was terrifying. Yeah. In your career uh, in A&R, Artists and Repertoire, um, grooming That's other... That's what that means. <laughs> what have we said before? Somebody said it? it was airports and restaurants. No, Steve Ford said that. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> Don't listen to him. When you, <laughs> uh, when you are grooming someone else uh, coming up through A&R, what are yeah. some of the, the skill sets yeah. or um, attributes that you're looking for to see that they're going to be successful at this, or maybe you should try something else? Yeah, great question, because it doesn't have a lot to do with music, certainly some, but I would say the the first two, and I wouldn't know how to rank these, but one would be leadership and just a, a seed of someone being able to lead well, and then uh, a relational skill. How many times have y'all already heard it's all about relationships? Right, yeah. I think every uh, episode, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are A&R people over the years who have been successful and were jerks, but not many. You know, There are usually tons of stories about healthy relationships that surround successful A&R people. And that may be true in every aspect of the music industry, but maybe not as much in A&R because you are, you're working on trust on such a high level I trust that you're going to be an artist that we can invest in, and you're trusting me that we will handle your music with care and help you grow in it. So there's a back and forth of trust there that if you don't have a sort of a natural inclination to how to help build that and some trust, I don't think you make a very good A&R person. Yeah. I think a lot of artists, well, I would guess that a lot of artists out there listening are probably still on the fence of, well, you know, I've heard that, you know, working with a label, they're like evil and they want to ruin our music and ruin our careers and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. True. All true. <laughs> yeah. and, and there are some artists that I just would probably go out and say that, that just would not work well sure. with a label. Yeah. And I mean, and, and thrive as indie right. artists. Yeah. So what is the, in your mind, the big advantage of having a label? Mm hmm. Well, obviously, there's the team aspect, and some people don't want a team. You know, they don't want anybody speaking into any part, either the creation or the marketing of what they do. Once again, there's that word team again. <laughs> is that showing up a lot? It's showing up yeah. a lot. Team is probably a big one, and then money, financing. I think every artist, if, if you look at the scale of, and I've had many meetings with both these people, one being, my music is my music. I don't want anybody messing with it. It's my self expression. It's everything to me and nobody messes with it that person the other end of the scale is well a a meeting i had once with a guy i said uh so what kind of music do you do and he said well what are you guys signing (laughs) so (laughs) that would be the other end right you probably don't want that right (laughs) right so like the guy who would do anything to get signed to the band or whatever if those are the two extremes everybody's somewhere on that scale and you could even be closer to the guy who can't compromise 
anything but find some area that I'm willing to bend in this area for a greater platform, more exposure. Of course, obviously, if we don't have hit songs with a new artist, that's just kind of a non-starter for us. And just for people out there who are artists, what what does it look like to bend in the creative process tangibly? Yeah, it, it probably looks like you're playing me a song and we talk about it and I might say something about this song feels like it's been written a lot. I've heard this idea a lot. It might be the verses are great, but they're not connected to the bridge lyrically. I I mean, I'm getting super into the weeds here, but maybe stuff like that that is very close to the writer, right? Those are huge comments to the writer, especially if someone hasn't dealt with this kind of feedback before. So someone might hear that and go, "Ah, no, you're messing with something that is too close to me. It's Mm. too tender. And another person might go, is that what I need to work on in order to get this greater exposure, bigger platform that I'd like to have? And they can sort of move toward that. So you're not necessarily trying to move someone into the perfect middle. There isn't anybody like that. But if they can just maybe open and look at their work as much as work and not as much as art, even though it is both those things, those people seem to make a good fit for you know, yeah. from a creative side. Sure, yeah. sure. I think that's really helpful because if you're a creative, I mean, those are the emails that you don't really want to get where you send in a song you're really passionate about and, you know, it just doesn't connect. It doesn't, other people don't hear it the same yeah. way that you do. Yeah. You just kind of have to be okay with that. If yeah. you're walking into a relationship with a team, you have to know that there's going to be a lot of opinions, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, and voices speaking into your art. So that's what I'm hearing. If yeah, and there's that yeah. trust factor. Again. Yeah, you have to, why yeah. why would I pay any attention to what you have to say about my song? Yeah, exactly. And that's another gift that's being given to me over doing this for a long time. Is I have whatever it's worth, some track record that people can, if they want to, place some trust in that. And whatever reputation you have adds to that. You know your your credits, your credentials, all those kinds of things add a little bit to someone's openness to trusting you, yeah. and that kind of feedback. Yeah, it seems like that in any relationship, whether it's an artist working with a label or your spouse, any of that, that it all comes down to communication as far mm-hmm. as the health of that mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Where have you seen? And again, we can protect the names if we need to, but maybe a tangible example of a communication that went awry uh, (laughs) on either side uh, that led to something that was uh, the separation Uh, of a relationship or something. Oh, like someone getting dropped, you mean? It could be. uh, But then on the flip side of that, something, a communication thing that we tweaked this one thing because we were able to speak into it and it, it made all the difference. I don't know that I would have one of a miscommunication to the point that someone got dropped. I don't know that I could think of that story. But certainly on a much smaller level, when you're communicating with someone about a song or a performance even, which can be just as close, you, one, always communicate that this is your opinion. Mm. We live in a town of opinions. Sure. Everybody's got one. And that's all this is. Mine is informed differently than someone else's, but this is my opinion. And then you're not using words like bad. (laughs) You know, you're not saying the bridge sucks. (laughs) Even though you might feel that way, you're trying to stay positive because if there's something good about the song, let's shine the spotlight on that and how can we work on what's not as great about it. Or maybe it's not, it just, 
it doesn't rise to the level of the rest of the song or the other songs that you've written for this record. There are ways to communicate those things without making the person sort of feel damaged. Or, I mean, they're already feeling incredibly insecure anyway, just like the rest of us. Sure. And you can either kind of fuel that or move toward, I'm not talking about you personally. I'm talking about your song, your work right mm. now. You don't suck, but this part of this bridge, these two lines, that word needs some work. Let's make it as good as the rest of the song is. Or let's help this rise to the level that you've demonstrated your work to be over the last three records. Communication like that can, I think, either break down a process or help a process. Sure. Especially with new people who are a little tender in the beginning anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah, positive communication. That's good. I feel like I just took a class on positive communication in the <laughs> studio. That, that was amazing. And I should say, there are people, and Seth, you know this, that you've worked with long enough that... You kind of don't have to... Yeah, that sucks. I mean, and, and they're going to laugh. And you might even disagree, but the eggshells aren't quite as present, you yeah. know, with people you've worked with a long time. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, you hit on a really good word, trust. I think mm-hmm. we'll probably title this episode Trust, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's really it. And the only way to develop that over time is time. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just time and just showing up and being yeah. a good person. And <laughs> Man, we talk so much about that, the process of signing someone in if I have some reputation for anything, it might be that I'm a slow mover on signing someone. And it's for that reason. Character only reveals itself over time. Hmm. And that works both ways, right? So in a silly kind of way, sometimes we analogize it to dating because you meet someone, you get interested in them, you like what they're doing, maybe they're interested in what you do. But you just got to spend some time to figure out are we going to get married or not? Because in the music business, getting married is a big commitment for someone. It's, it extends over years, could be six, seven years. If you don't trust the people that you're making that commitment with, you're, you're in trouble. Hmm. Yeah. Both of you are in trouble. So from the time you meet an artist or click on a YouTube video of an artist or something mm-hmm. to the time that you sign a deal, mm-hmm. how, how long of a process is that usually? I would say the shortest I've ever experienced, maybe six months, the longest, maybe two years. Mm. And I've gone two years and not signed the person, you know, and gone six months and signed someone. I do think there's kind of an immediate, man, I really like this person. And you kind of have a feel, like when you meet someone, right? And you were already getting familiar with their music before you probably ever sit down with them and you hear potential in their music. And sometimes that can be deceitful. You know, your heart will deceive you above all things. And yeah. you think, this is going to go quick. We're hitting it off. This feels really good. But sometimes I've been glad I just pumped the brakes a little bit. And you find out things about people, even if it's, I'm not talking about moral stuff. Sometimes that's there. But just stuff about the way you're going to work together. And someone reacts in a certain way in a song meeting or doing a demo with a producer. And you wow, oh, I never knew that was in there. That's not going to work. Sure. <laughs> you know, maybe a, a blind spot for somebody or a character flaw, nothing that they can't overcome, but you're glad you gave it the time for that kind of thing to surface. Yeah. And it certainly works the other way, where the A&R person may be the first person that the artist begins to deal with, and there is kind of a bond created there for, the, I think, the life of their work with the, the label. But every person that works there is really important especially in a small team like ours. So that person has to get comfortable with everybody there. 
They have to work well with finance people, publishing people, of course, marketing and promotional people who sometimes it can feel like you're just something being sold. And for them not to have that same level of trust in those people can make something go south really fast, you know? So being a true artist is somewhere in the middle of being a complete visionary, self-contained mm-hmm. powerhouse and being an incredible team player. Yeah, somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. And you want everybody to find their space in that. You would think, no, I want everybody to be that second category. Yeah. Just do what I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that never works, right? <laughs> you want somebody to bring their own force of personality and creativity that's what's going to connect with the public. So there's always going to be that tension between those two ends. And I would even say as someone's career moves and grows through different years and records, they even move on that scale, you know? Yeah. I've worked with artists who have gone through horrible things in their life, maybe on their second or third record. They're so much less engaged. They're just trying to live through making this record and you're trying to pull a record out of them at that point. And then other times they're really engaged and every note, every downbeat matters to them. Even the same artist can move around on that scale. Well, not wanting to put undue or unnecessary work on you, but knowing that you were saying that you get approached a lot with somebody like, hey, could you listen to my demo? Sure. Versus clicking on that YouTube link that <laughs> you just were kind of browsing and came upon someone. Yeah. What is the ratio of people who approach you that yeah. you have signed versus people that you have truly kind of found and worked them into what they have become. Yeah. Well, first I should say that the fantastic guy that works with me, John Sell, does most of our YouTube shows, gotcha. uh, surfing around. So I don't do a lot of that. But most of the things that come to us come to us through other people. Yeah, he may find something occasionally on there. There's a lot online if you're surfing around. Sure. So the odds are low that you're going to find something that really engages you. But sometimes he does. Most of the things come through managers, through other artists, through relationships that you have. We talked about relationships earlier, but one really great thing about relationships in A&R is that they are almost like a net, a network but a net in the sense that they are catching things as they come through. So if some booking agent or manager finds some artist that they're blown away with, I want them to think about us first and send me an email and say, you should check this out. A lot of artists that are out on the road run across, you know, indie artists that are either opening for them or that they just encounter somewhere. So it's kind of a third party thing. I would say about probably 30% of the stuff I get comes directly from the artist and they found our email address and Diane will just send it to us. But most everything else comes through someone. And then you're kind of deciding, is this someone I want to sit down with sure. and, and find out what's going on? So are you saying that it is usually better from your perspective to have someone that's been a bit vetted either through a, a partner or a friend or yeah. uh, versus you know somebody emailing you out of the blue? It just goes back to that trust thing. If Seth sends me something I have a lot of trust, you know, that he's, it's reasonably, I have a good chance of liking that thing because he sent it than I would have if they had sent it to me themselves. I, I've got this um, German polka band I was going to Well, sh- I was going to say, those barking dogs thing, man, yeah. that was some of the best. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. really is revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not heard polka like is it. the next big thing. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so do, you, do you love your job? Oh, gosh, so much. You know, 
there has been a shift over the last few years from, I'll tear up talking about this, but from love of it, which is still there, to just gratitude for it. I mean, mm. I'm 60. I'm, I've been doing this 30 years, wow. and who gets to do that, you, you wow. know? Most people doing A&R are not my age, and we just got to face that so yeah. that the company that employs me still feels that there's value there. I feel more stewardship over the gifts that I have to do good work with them, and I do love it, but I am so grateful for it at the same time. Wow, yeah. So I hear that, and I'm sure there's a lot of good days on the job, but I'm sure there's a lot of bad days, too. What? <laughs> I mean, what does a bad day look like as an a Usually person? when there's a Seth production <laughs> going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of, I started to use the phrase wasted time. And, and in Jason Gray's profound wisdom, he says nothing is wasted. And in the kingdom, I, I believe that. But you can go down a road with someone, spend a lot of time feeling like there is something there and it not be there. And you can then turn around and look and go, well... That wasn't a good use of my time. This thing suffered while I was chasing that thing. There's that, that probably the worst part of the job is having to part ways. You know, you spent, maybe you spent a year trying to get to the place that you're working with them. Then you make a record. You make two records. Sometimes you make three records, whatever. And you never get traction. And all this communication of belief and support comes down to a time at a table in a coffee shop somewhere where you're saying we're going to have to part ways. And Mm. that's really difficult to do. It's the hardest part of the job. And I've done it, you know, a lot and never enjoyed it once. Always dread it. Always feel horrible when it's over. Yeah. And thank God for drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Take a lot of drugs. (laughs) That was not what I was expecting. Well, that's just what came to mind. It is the music industry after all. (laughs) That's just true. Are you at least getting local organic? That's the question. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody that knows me knows what a funny joke that is, but I wouldn't know what that even means. (laughs) When it comes to working with a label, being an artist, working with a label, what is that balance? And I'm sure it's unique to every situation, but what is that balance on I, as an artist, want to come to you as a label and say, this is how I want this album to look, this is how I want it to be marketed, versus the label coming and saying, okay, I see what you're trying to do here, this is what we will do with it. Right. As in all things, again, there's some tension in that and some balance in it. I want that. I don't want to ever work with someone that doesn't have that, like some vision or identity for who they are and what they want to do and the music they want to be making. I love that. But at the same time, if I deliver a record to our marketing department and Steve Ford hears it and he says there's no hits on here, I have failed and I've failed that artist as well. So we would never get to that place of having to make those kinds of decisions without them knowing their eyes being fully open to this is what is required for success in our marketplace, in the CCM marketplace. We have to have successful radio songs. Now, that's not true for worship people. That's a different conversation. But for most of what we do, there's a a serious emphasis on hit songs. So, you know, they're going to know a long time before they come in about whether or not they've listened to K-Love. They know. Do they hate that? Can they live with making music that sounds kind of that way. And if they can't, we need to have 
had that discussion long before we get to that the point you're talking sure. about. But it's always some balance of we want to take the best of what's uniquely you, and we want to make sure that we make a record that's good fit for our market, the CCM marketplace, with what is uniquely you. Right. And, you know, the criticism of Christian music is it all sounds alike, and I get that. It's probably a fair criticism. Kind of all commercial music sounds alike. <laughs> most pop music sounds alike. Most country music. But uh, within the parameters of what this person, this band, this artist is, is gifted the most at, maybe we can find that, mine it out, and make that a unique contribution to what Christian music sounds like. There's also the criticism of you're just preaching to the choir, you know, that we yeah. all, uh, we're saying the same thing every song, and I get that too. I'm in the choir, I need to be preached too. You know, <laughs> it's not like the church doesn't need fresh, new prophetic voices to bring life and encouragement and challenge and edification, there's still a need for what we do in Christian music, and I'm a big believer in it. I heard a pastor say, or it's a story of a pastor that preached the same thing week after week, and then they said, why are you preaching the same thing? He said, when my congregation gets it, I'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that's where we are in Christian music, but I like that. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's that's always the true art and probably what you look for in an artist and a writer of being able to say, because it really just comes back to being human. I mean, there's not really any new problems. Mm. There's, you know... There's no new truth. There's no new truth. It it is what it is, whether you're a Christian or an atheist. I mean, everybody has the same human emotions. Mm -hmm. Everybody has insecurity and joy and there's not a new experience under the sun so it is a true the art comes in when you're able to articulate something in a new way mm-hmm. and and that's probably what you look for right? i think we were exchanging this in an email a couple yeah. of weeks ago but yeah. uh, that madeline lingle quote from uh, walking on water where she kind of defines art as that which makes truth new all over again hmm. wow yeah what a high bar you know, and and you can't just lay that on any songwriter and expect them to write. It'll, it'll drive you crazy. <laughs> but for it to be kind of the gold standard, what's a way that we can communicate this idea in a way that the listener will go, "I've never thought of that before. Mm. I've never looked at it through that lens." That connects, and uh, it's it's very difficult to do, but it's worth the struggle, right? When yeah. it happens. Oh yeah, the track record piece comes in, but. As far as I just even think of today going into a session or going into whatever you're about to do, how do you inspire the people that are around you mm-hmm. to, to live up to that standard? Which mm-hmm. just hearing that, which what's the Madeline Lingual quote? Art again? is that which makes truth new all over again. Okay. And again and again and again. Yeah. So, how, yeah. what are, I mean, what are some of the things, tricks in your tool, <laughs> tool bag that you use when you're making records? Yeah, uh, to inspire your creative team and your artists and your producers, and it's a great reminder of that responsibility. But I don't know that I have a specific tool for it, other than trying to always cast a very high vision for the work that we're doing. We'll pray around new records, you know, and just God, we don't want to make another record. Who wants to do that? Who needs another record? <laughs> Who needs another song? Yeah. We want to make work that stirs and makes people think about things and that when we look back on we're proud of and from a a creative place but and we talk about this all the time at work and maybe it's a good metaphor for your listeners I don't know but 
this idea that we want to be faithful seed planters, right? Mm. We want to find the best seed, get it in the ground the best that we can, cultivate it, care for it, water it. But then we kind of go in the house and we pray that the conditions are good and that the rain is the right amount. It's not too much. It's not too little. The temperature of the soil is right. The wind doesn't blow the top. So all these, I'm taking the metaphor too far, but none of that you have any control over. Right. Only God can bring the fruit. And we've had that happen in our company so many times. We've seen that demonstrated. So I think I'm trying to keep in front of somebody, the, the team, the artists, the producers, the people around us going, Here's the work that we're doing. Here's what's important. This bridge, these three lines are worth working on because we want the seed to be the best. This is our job, Mm. getting the best seed in the ground. Then we kind of have to sit back and wait to see what God's going to do. And I know there's all kinds of argument to that, and we can read articles all day long about people taking credit for for what Adele did and (laughs) whatever. But I, I'll always believe that. You can hear somebody's story of, I remember when Jars of Clay was signed, whenever that was, 100 years ago, and <laughs> you know they just broke it. They were opening for Sting within a year. There was, and I remember reading these articles about, well, first, the people taking credit for who signed them, which was hilarious. There were like five different people saying they signed them. But also, well, here's our strategic launch. We did this, and then we you know, did this, and then we make sure we group these people together and we launch this. And, and you want to go, well, if that works so well, d- do it again. Right. Because it won't work. Yeah. You know, there is no formula for what works. You just try to keep people focused on why it's important and to do the best work that you can do in this opportunity that you have to do it. That's a plenty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Gosh, that's wise. Yeah. Maybe we don't get this opportunity again. Who knows when... Maybe we don't get to make another record. Yeah. You know, maybe this may be the last one. And if so, will we look back and feel any regret over the time and sweat and blood that we put into it? No, we won't. We'll be so glad we did that. Yeah. And then especially if God does something with it and people's lives are changing from some sort of work that we did together. God's yeah. doing that, but yeah. we got to participate in it. What a gift. Yeah. Right? That's amazing. Well, we could definitely sit here all day and talk about it, but we also know that you have to go on to making how many records you're in the middle of making right now. How many got, records do you normally juggle at a time? Well, that's been a blessing of centricity. You know, we have a fairly small roster. So right now I have four things going. Yeah. But we only have nine signed artists. So yeah. And then John has two or three going, and then the rest just aren't recording right now. But, uh, you know, we talked about that first year at Word. I did 18 records that year. Wow. And that was another reason it was kind of a sucky year. Because you know? <laughs> it was very assembly line, mm. get the buttons on right and get it on out. And that wasn't what A&R was. It wasn't what uh, making music should be about. And I'm glad I hung in there for the year to find that out. Wow. Yeah. I think if you've got four or five records going on at once, that's probably about the length of anyone's capacity yeah. to really be able to care about. Right, know? yeah. Well, that's it. Is care you only? I mean, you've only got so many hours in the day, and yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I believe that, and we try to stress that at Full Circle Music that I mean, working past eight hours a day really doesn't get you any more done, <laughs> right? Because you usually wind up redoing everything oh, that gosh. you did in the in the 
thinking about all this so much these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, well, even just the balance of sometimes you don't know it's been eight hours because you just love doing right. what you're doing. You yeah, know? true. Or you've just true. been so caught up in it, or you're so busy, or just the flow of it, which you love. Yeah, true. But there is a diminishing return, and yeah. the work begins to suffer, even if it was for good reason yeah. that you worked too much at mm. it. And I put gas in my car this morning and thought, you can't forsake putting gas in your car. Yeah. The car will not run. You yeah. know, Stephen Covey in uh, Seven Habits book called it Sharpening the Saw. Absolutely. You yeah. can't keep cutting trees down if you don't stop to sharpen the saw. Man, that's wisdom for our bodies, our health, our minds. Yeah. And you reach that wall and you see your work starting to slide and you're thinking, I'm lo- still loving doing this. Why is this not very good? Right. <laughs> and often you can look back and go, the candle has burned now at both ends and yeah. there is no more candle. Yeah. Gosh. I think that's a great way to end it. There is no more candle. (laughs) A bumper sticker. We have faded to black, literally here. You sell that sucker, I want a royalty. I think that's what we're going to write today, actually. (laughs) That's not a very good hook. No, it's not. I don't think radio will play that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time today. I loved it, guys. I've learned a ton. Thank you so much. Hey, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join us again soon on the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music is. Check us out at fullcirclemusic.org slash podcast.